Talking Heads is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code TALKING at FanDuel.com for a bonus match of up to $200. And we're also sponsored by the SeatGeek app, the easiest way to find a great deal, pay for your ticket, get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code TALKING for $20 off your first purchase. And welcome to episode three of Talking Heads on the Panoply Network. I'm Bram Weinstein in Connecticut. Mark Stern is in Washington, D.C. A quick reminder, I've been told we need to introduce ourselves to you once again. So for those of you who do not know who I am, for those who listened to the first two episodes, thank you for subscribing, obviously, for continuing with us. Uh, For those who don't know who I am and have just happened on us, I was at ESPN for seven years. Before that, I was in Uh, multiple radio stations and television in the Washington, D.C. market, namely with one Mark Stern. We used to do a show together uh, in Washington, and we are now back together and better than ever. (laughs) Yes, yes, we are. And I'm very sorry that you're that you're not with me down here in D.C. because it seems as we are the center of the universe when it comes to dysfunction in the world of sports. Well, I gave a a tremendous amount of consideration to moving home um, this summer. Um, One of the reasons, uh, actually one of the main reasons why I have not settled on whatever my next TV thing is, is because I had spent a tremendous amount of energy and desire to try to make it happen in Washington. And that because that's home for me. I'm from Silver Spring, Maryland. And part of it was wanting to come back and raise my kids in that family. But uh, the broadcasting realm is very different now in local markets than it used to be nationally. And I didn't want to give up on any national aspirations. I didn't want to stop doing those things. And the only things that were put in front of me um, that were worthwhile to move home for would not allow for that situation to occur. So I have kind of turned the page once again on Washington, and it appears as if I'm not going to come back. So I'm turning the page and moving forward and trying to figure out what the next thing is going to be. Um, that said, man, I'm glad I didn't come home this summer. I mean, what a ridiculous <laughs> amount of crap you people yeah. are dealing with down there. I, I've wondered if, if dysfunction can be infectious. Um, <laughs> there are examples of that in certain places where, like in Cleveland, where the Browns and then without LeBron, the Cavaliers and the Indians just go through these long stretches of time where they all stink. And it just seems to kind of permeate throughout all of them. And But then there are examples where, like in Pittsburgh, where the Steelers are kind of a model of consistency throughout the years, and the Pirates, although being good now, were terrible for like 30 years running. So it's interesting because in Washington, um, the Redskins have become, I I don't know if, they might be the most dysfunctional team in the NFL. They might be the most dysfunctional team in sports um, right now. But we kind of knew this going in. So it was shocking to me. To see the Nationals, who have been largely competitive in a very short period of time based on the fact that they have a very good roster there um, in Washington, suddenly becoming uh, the weird cousin of the Redskins over the last (laughs) couple of months. And in particular, it was hard to look away from what happened in their dugout on Sunday, which, which was the day after they were mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, which is a huge bust year for a team that most people thought would end up um, at least vying for the World Series, and now they're not even going to make the playoffs. When the closer they picked up midseason choked the probable MVP, and the manager didn't even know that it happened and kept the closer in the game after this occurred. What in the world is wrong with you people down there? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it's uh, just when you think it can't get any weirder, it went and got even weirder yesterday. And, you know, listen, everything that's going on with the Nationals this year, to me, it's emblematic of what's been going on with this town for a long time. And you were around with the Redskins and the fans prematurely would celebrate, we're going to go, we're going to go to the Super Bowl this year, we're going to win the NFC Championship, when they would sign guys like Deion Sanders and Bruce Smith and Jeff George. And there's this tendency among the fan base here to celebrate too early. And now listen, it wasn't just the fans this time. It was national media anointing the Washington yes. Nationals as a prohibitive favorite to not just go to the World Series, but win the World Series this year. And, and unfortunately for the fan base here, everybody really just jumped on board with that. And when things went sideways midsummer, I think it was when they got swept by the Mets like after the All-Star break, and, and then they never really bounced back from that. And there was never really a sense from the team that, yeah, we really got to get our act together. And then they, they bring Jonathan Papelbon on in. And when you look in his eyes, you can see that that dude is completely insane. And sometimes that's what you want in a closer. But that's not necessarily what you want with a guy in the clubhouse. And he is not really gelled with the rest of the guys in this clubhouse. This wasn't a team that was sort of a bunch of like fiery guys. And he comes in again. Was it was it the choking that gave that away? (laughs) Was the the, he didn't gel with people? The choking did that give that away to anybody? Yeah, I think it was a big hint. And and this goes back, by the way, to last week when he hit uh, Manny Machado, and then Bryce Harper was like. Well, that's great because now they're going to hit me. Thanks, right. Papelbon. So I think there was some bad blood between those guys. And then Papelbon, in a game that means literally nothing, he starts barking at Harper. Why aren't you running that out? And Harper turns around and says, let's go. And then Papelbon, again, can I say this enough? He's completely insane. If you say let's go, he's going to go. So, yeah, this is just its just a disaster. You, you know what's amazing to me, though? And I was critical of Matt Williams, who's in his second season as the manager there. In, in his first season, I felt like he micromanaged Harper. That yes. If you recall, back early in that tenure, he was moving him around the lineup a mm-hmm. lot. He was chastising him for, for exactly what Papelbon did. And then suddenly yesterday, or Sunday, since we're taping this on a Monday, but on Sunday... Um, he didn't notice that apparently he didn't run his hardest on a particular play and did so much so that he didn't even notice that another player had choked him. So I'm curious where Matt Williams is. If the manager who basically was the epitome of the overbearing micromanager Marine suddenly missed a fight in his own dugout five feet from his face, exactly where this guy's mindset is now. Yeah, it strains credulity to think that he couldn't be aware of what was going on. I mean, I think he he clearly knew there was some kind of scuffle, but there was a long time that he had to get the facts, and there were a couple of coaches that helped break this thing up. So for him to just be completely blissfully unaware, and yeah, Papelbon, get out there, and you know, well, yeah, it's in-house, we'll deal with this thing in-house, it's a family thing. I don't know, he, he, he appears to have lost complete control of everything going on. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if within a week or 10 days, he is no longer the manager. Of this well, he's team. got, I mean, listen, when you come into a situation where you get a team that's supposed to win, if you don't win, you've got a problem. Um, and that's what's happened here. Um, I was there in spring training with ESPN covering the nationals in Vieira, Florida, and we were basically anointing them world series champions. In fact, Bryce Harper had said a couple days before we were there 
when he was asked about what he thought when they signed Max Scherzer to what was the richest deal ever for any pitcher on a team that really didn't need starting pitching, but certainly you're not going to turn down a Cy Young winner to join the staff. He said, where's my ring? That was his reaction to it. So he put it out there that the team had these expectations, and unfortunately they have fallen short. So them like the it's going to be hard to make this case. I know I'm going to make you laugh when I say this now, but... Whoever's coaching the Redskins next year and whoever's coaching the Nationals next year, I think are going to run into a similar scenario. I know you're going to laugh at this. I think whoever's coaching the Redskins next year is going to walk into a decent situation with their roster. I, I, I Actually, I'm not going to laugh at that. I'm not okay. going to laugh at that because they finally have an adult who's sort of in charge of the talent evaluation and building the team and, yes. and, and Scott McLuhan. And he said, you know what? We're going to start with the lines. We're going to get big, beefy offensive line guys. We're going to get nasty guys. We're going to run game. We're going to beef up the defensive line. And he's done all that, and they they have the basis – actually for a good team they just don't have a quarterback they don't have a quarterback which means you'll always stink you know like you know yeah. if your quarterback stinks you always stink there's no yes. way around that it doesn't matter how good your team is you will stink there's except for like one year when tim tebow by the, the grace of god allowed him to win a bunch of games <laughs> uh, for the, despite because the roster was good around yeah. him yeah uh, and every once in a while this happens it's some team with a lousy quarterback like well i guess trent dilfer who i love and he was not lousy by any stretch of the imagination but the year that they won the super bowl um, they went through a stretch of five or six games where they didn't score a touchdown. I mean, it's like practically impossible, you know, like <laughs> you would win that many games when you're so inept on one side of the ball, but it, but that was the case. I think the Redskins are in a similar situation, not so much as the Nationals. The Nationals are primed to win. Um, their team is too good. Uh, so whoever lands them as the manager um, is going to get, again, a young team with a tremendous amount of promise and the arguably the best young player in baseball who got choked by one of his teammates but still and then he's got Scherzer who was very good and Strasburg who if anyone can kind of come around and and turn him into a mean guy I think would have an opportunity to turn him into a dominant player they have too many good players on the team not to be more competitive than they are and the Redskins if they go get assuming that this GM is going to go get a quarterback of some sort that quarterback and whoever's coaching that quarterback is actually going to walk into a team that can be competitive. Maybe not like the Nationals where there'd be high expectations, but competitive. And I, I don't want to go through the summer of the Redskins. I, I just want to say I feel like somehow whatever they did wore off on the Nationals over the weekend because to see them do that, that was very Redskin-ish over what occurred over five weeks with that team. No one napalms a preseason like the Washington Redskins did. I've never <laughs> seen a team treat it so poorly and and just be so – I mean, the games don't count, and yet everything written about them was so it, crazy negative. It, to, the iceberg is the, – the tip of the iceberg is the quarterback – having to put out a statement because he wasn't initially allowed to talk to the press about making a statement that he wants to be the best quarterback in the NFL, and people were mad that he said that. I mean, it's just the absurdity level of the franchise seems to have worn off on their neighbors with the baseball team. Again, I'm just so glad I didn't move home for this. You know, like, like I don't, I don't want to live around this. It's, you know, listen, the holidays are tough enough. It's really tough when your family members, which the sports teams of that city basically are to me, um, when they're completely nuts. You know, so it makes it makes it very difficult to hang in the same room with them when they're pulling crazy pants. Uh, you just can't deal with it. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about very quickly before we get to Kostya Kennedy, who wrote a book about Pete Rose, and he is in the news again. And over the next week or two, we're going to find out basically if Pete Rose will ever be reinstated um, by baseball again, and we'll get his thoughts 
um, on that is Drew Brees, who missed his first game for injury um, since joining the New Orleans Saints 10 years ago. He's 36 years old now. He suffered a shoulder injury in the second game of the season. Throughout the week, they said he might play. He ended up not playing. Uh, the team lost again, so now they're 0-3, so their season has already gone sideways. Um, it was... <laughs> It was a miracle, or you almost have to believe on some level of divine intervention or prophets or miracles to believe the career that Drew Brees had based on the scenario by which he came to New Orleans. Um, he tore his shoulder 360 degrees. Most doctors told him, this is when he was in San Diego 10 years ago, that most doctors told him he would not play again. Um, instead, he has come back. He's the fastest quarterback ever to get to 40,000 passing yards, 50,000 passing yards. He has the most 5,000 passing yards and uh, 5,000 passing yards seasons. He's got the most consecutive games with a passing touchdown at 54 and at 71.2%. He's got the best single season completion percentage of any quarterback in NFL history. And of course, um, you know, he is forever going to be a king in that town because he happened to quarterback the only team that's ever won a Super Bowl for them and happened to be there and became an enormous community leader in the wake of Hurricane Katrina. So he is, I would, I might say that there is nobody who defines the word franchise player more than this guy ever. And if this is the beginning of the end for him, I think it should be noted um, what he means as a player. And he is exactly what any franchise could ever want out of anyone who played that position or represents their team or represents their city. And the fact that they're 0-3 now would suggest to me that they're not going to rush him back in any way, that they're going to allow him to get healthy. And if the team doesn't turn it around on the field, they may not play him very much. And at 36 with another shoulder injury, it's possible that this is kind of the beginning of the end for Drew Brees, who will end up in the Hall of Fame. And if that is the case, and it starts to kind of go that direction, and he's never going to be as effective as he was, and I know it's premature to say that, but if that is the case, um, I, I think I just want to give him a standing ovation for what he did for that city and for that team and for the league and as a community leader. And I look forward to seeing whatever he does in his post-playing career, whenever that happens, next year, the year after, Three years after that, um, what he accomplished was amazing. And I, I think it was high time to sit back over this weekend and recognize what he did uh, because the team around him isn't good enough to allow him to ascend to a stardom again. And his body may be betraying him now, too. Well, just thank God the Redskins didn't draft him because it would have been an entirely different story. <laughs> would have ruined him, too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Papelbon would have choked him down <laughs> the Redskins drafted him. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. Jay Gruden would have like punched him in the face or something. It was something horrible that yeah. happened to him. Yeah. There's. I. Uh, it's really sad. Like when you get to the point where your team, you expect crazy things to happen. Like you, you. It's not even like. It's not even like you expect bad things to happen. You expect crazy things to happen with them. Yeah. You just when you see the crawl and you see that something with Washington, you kind of just slap your forehead and say, "Oh God, here we go again." Yeah. You know, if it's, it's anything breaking news, Redskins, you're like, "Please, what is this?" <laughs> Right. This can't be yeah. good. Yeah. You know, even even when they think it's good, it's like we just signed Albert Hainsworth <laughs> to the largest contract ever, and everyone's like, "Oh God, <laughs> like what's wrong with you people? You're celebrating that? Like what are you nuts? You're 100 percent right about Breeze. He's he is a jewel of a player, and a, I couldn't have said it better. A franchise could not ask more out of an individual than they got out of Drew Breeze, both as a player and as a representative off the field through everything that New Orleans went through. Uh, I mean, the, the guy is a god among men. 
About 30 years ago, and maybe not to the same degree of Drew Brees because of the community activism that he displayed after the hurricane in the community, but Pete Rose was as revered as any player in any sport ever. He has not been for three-plus decades now, and we all know why, because he gambled on the sport, lied about it, got banned from the sport, and has never been reinstated. And coming up, we're going to talk to someone who is trying to surmise whether that is going to change finally or if Pete Rose will likely go to his grave as someone who is banned from the sport. Hey, if you're a Bears or Niners fan, now would be a really great time to descend into fantasy football. It's all you got left this year. And now with FanDuel, you can play with up to $200 in bonus cash with our code TALKING. By now, even the Dalai Lama has probably heard of FanDuel. Here's what it's all about. The leader in one-week fantasy football, they're going to pay out $75 million a week. This football season, it's cheap. Entry fees start at just one buck. There's a league for everybody there. Week three NFL games, of course, in the lobby. Over one million players have won the money. Go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Use the code TALKING and sign up now. There's a special offer for new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel will match it with up to 200 bucks that gets earned as you play. That's a bonus of up to $200. The offer is only good for the first 50 people that use my code TALKING today, so don't get left out. Don't forget to use the code TALKING. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Try it out today. And what's fantasy football without the inside edge? Sports Illustrated fantasy expert Michael Beller is my new colleague in the Panoply Network. And Michael serves up expert analysis and fantasy advice on not one but two weekly episodes. The SI Fantasy Football Podcast with Michael Beller. Mondays and Thursdays on iTunes and SI.com backslash podcast. There's a lot to talk about with all the injuries in particular to the quarterbacks this year. And welcome back to Talking Heads. Uh, I'm so glad that, that the sponsorship leading into this segment was, uh, gambling's a strong word here for fantasy football, but on some level, a lot of people would describe fantasy football and all the one-week stuff as gambling. I, I'm not one of those people that is hardcore that way and trying to push it into that corner, uh, in, in essence, making it illegal because I actually enjoy doing it and I, I find nothing in particular wrong with it. But leading into a discussion about Pete Rose, how uh, prevalent gambling if you will is in sports and how interlinked they are it should shed a new light you would think on the case of pete rose who is you know arguably one of the top five or ten baseball players of all time but as everyone who is any kind of sports fan knows is not in the hall of fame now because uh he bet on baseball while he was a player and a manager he lied about that for a long period of time he came clean and now he's getting what appears to be a final chance, as last week it was reported that he met with the new commissioner of the sport, Rob Manfred. Uh, there have been some olive branches reached out. At least some people were making that link here in that he was at the All-Star Game over the summer in Cincinnati, where, of course, he starred for the Cincinnati Reds. He made an appearance there publicly on that stage, and he has worked for Fox as an analyst uh, through the years. In baseball, as you might imagine, at least, they, they have stepped away from saying that they allowed that to happen, but certainly uh, you would think that Fox went forward and asked Major League Baseball if that's okay before they ever let him do that because of how controversial he can be to the sport to allow him that stage. Um, I am going to say this before we bring Kostya Kennedy on, just so I'm clear with the listeners, and I'll allow you, Mark, the same opportunity here. And Kostya wrote a book about Pete Rose. It's called An American Dilemma, which I think is a very interesting title um, for him. 
I believe he should be reinstated, and I believe he belongs in the Hall of Fame. And, and I believe that a lot of people have vices and that he has served a punishment way too long for his. So I am hoping that the commissioner of baseball is going to reinstate him and give him what I believe is his rightful place in the Hall of Fame. How about you? You know, I, I'm a guy that, that likes to believe in leniency, but when it comes to baseball in this particular rule, I think it's it was very clearly stated. And when you when you mess with the fabric of the game, as Pete Rose apparently did repeatedly, I, I just don't think he can. I think you have to hold that out as an example and say this is what happens. Even the greatest players of our sport, when you do this, there are consequences for your actions. I have had the opportunity to interview Pete Rose a couple of times. I'm not going to say that I know him at all. Costa Kennedy, who, who is a long-time, longtime writer for Sports Illustrated, has worked with the New York Times as well and wrote the book Pete Rose, and American Dilemma, joins us now. I, I want to start with that word dilemma. That's an interesting word to use here. Why is this a dilemma? Well, on so many levels, he really presents that. I mean, the, the most global level is that Pete played the game with as much integrity as anybody has ever played, not just with the hustle that he was famous for, you know, the headfirst lies and running out every play, whatever the situation, but the, the, the way he would take batting practice, come out, you know, switch it, or he'd take 15 swings, hit the ball to left field 15 times, hit it to center 15 times, hit to right 15 times. He would go from first to third on a single because he knew exactly where the left fielder was playing, not a guy with great speed, Pete. He just knew the game. He played with such honor and integrity of the game to the game, and then he goes out and he, you know, commits perhaps the greatest sin you could, which is to bet on the game while you're involved in it and bet on your own team. And that right there is a dilemma. What do we make of a man so, you know, so varied as that? I think the other dilemma comes in a little bit because, although it's apples and oranges to some extent, uh, Pete was banned and then. Time went on, and the steroid era entered baseball. And people we've seen in recent years, guys like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, get on the Hall of Fame ballot. They haven't gotten in, but they've been on the ballot. And you can argue that what they did was more damaging to the game than what Pete did. And he's never had a chance to be on the ballot. Like, whether or not one thinks he should be in, that's worth discussion, discussing. And I heard your, clearly, uh, your clear opinion before this, but... He's never even had a chance to be on the ballot while the steroid guys have, yeah. and that, that presents a dilemma for a lot of people. Yeah, well, Mark McGuire has admitted to using performance-enhancing drugs, and he has now worked for two separate baseball teams on the staff. He's a hitting coach. Um, right. Andy Pettit got a second chance. He's pitching. You know, not any longer, but he retired. But he came back, and he admitted he had used, and he was back in the game. And Andy Pettit, I would assume, is going to have an opportunity to be at least discussed among the voters if he is a Hall of Fame player or not. Um, uh, there's an important distinction, too, that, you know, and you mentioned it. He bet on his team. Do you have any information at all that he ever bet against them? No, and I, I, would, I would have to say that he didn't. I mean, I really, you, we can never know for sure, but there's no evidence. First of all, like, this thing has been looked at up and down. First, John Dow did an excellent job in his report, like, just speaking to everybody, going through so much material. It was looked at separately by the FBI. Major League Baseball went back and looked at it. I spoke to scores and scores of people, never any suggestion, let alone evidence, never any suggestion that he ever bet on the team uh, to do anything but win. And even if you look at player usage, which is something that comes up that, oh, he might have sort of gambled differently, you know, used players differently if he had money or if he didn't have money or anything like that, there's no indication of that at all. So it's the kind of thing you can never know for 100% sure 
because we weren't inside Pete's head, but there's really no suggestion that he bet on them on the Reds to lose ever. Why do you think it's important to him to be reinstated, or is it? Well, I don't think it was for a while. I think it's important now. Um, there's been a change in Pete. I mean, in some ways, he's the same old Pete, but in, in the past, I'd say not that long, three, four, maybe five years, he's gotten a little older. He's going to be 75 soon. He's uh, turned 74 in April, and he, he looks out, and he goes to Cooperstown every year, and he sees this kind of club of people, and, you know, Willie Mays to Paul Molitor and Reggie Jackson and all these guys, and he's kind of on the outside looking in, and I think he feels like, you know, I messed this up. And he'd kind of like to make it make it right. Uh, I think the bigger thing that he's wanted all these years is not so much the Hall of Fame, but to be reinstated in baseball. For a long time he thought he could be a manager uh, or a hitting coach or something like that. I have a hard time envisioning such a big role for him if he even were to get back in now. Uh, but that really throughout his life was the biggest, the biggest thing that he wanted um, was, was to get back reinstated and, and more important to him than the Hall of Fame. And if you were to ask the people like those old-time players, Willie Mays or Paul Molitor or all these other guys, what they think, what would they say about Pete Rose? Do they think he belongs there? It's pretty mixed. You know, some of the older-time guys are like, hey, you know, it was uh, posted on every clubhouse wall that you can't gamble. Um, and, if you know, you'll be banned from baseball if you did. But which, by the way, it never said anything about the Hall of Fame. So it's two total separate issues, but it did say to be banned from baseball. I'd point out that Pete was never a big reader, so maybe he didn't even see those signs. <laughs> but, um, no, I, I think a lot of people do feel that he, he was against that spirit. Um, uh, the younger players, the contemporaries of Pete, I mean, they it was amazing to me how much they loved this guy when I was doing my book. Like, I mean, he he was in some ways polarizing for fans because he played so hard, and if he beat your guy or knocked your guy over, you sure didn't like him. But players on every team just loved the way he played and how much he cared about the game. And I think that the newer generation, and by that I mean, you know, not so new, but, uh, you know, 70s, 80s and on, are, or maybe 80s and on, are, are, would be in full support of Pete, by and large. And the older crowd, less so. You know, I think I kind of know what day-to-day for Pete Rose is, but you know him way better than I do. What is day-to-day for Pete Rose now? What does he do? A uh, typical day for him is, and this is a day that describes about 15 to 20 days a month, he lives in a, in Vegas. He has an apartment out there. Um, he gets up, uh, has a little breakfast, likes to have his bacon and eggs, and he heads over to Mandalay Bay where he uh, signs autographs for about five hours. From uh, Usually it's 12 to 5. There's some variance in that. And, uh, you know, he makes a really good living doing it, and he uh, he, he does he, – he, signs until about five o'clock then he'll get himself some subway or something like that and he'll go home and watch baseball i mean that's pretty much his day he really does know baseball incredibly well and i don't know if you've had a chance to see him on fox but there's no sort of like hey yeah that's what joe morgan used to do or anything he knows the guys he'll he'll break down mccutcheon swing for you he'll get into it um he, he watches a lot of football uh, sorry a lot of baseball he watches a lot of football too but he watches a lot of baseball pays real attention to it has relationships with a lot of the players. Um, so he, he's still very much up on the game, and, and that's his greatest love in baseball, except for maybe 
cash, uh, his greatest love in life is definitely baseball. Here's the unfair question because I don't know whether you're willing to answer it or not. I gave you my opinion. Mark gave you his. Are you willing to give your opinion over whether you think he should be reinstated and be allowed to be voted upon for the Hall of Fame? Uh, I'm not, just not going to say that. I, I, I will. Well, I guess uh, it's interesting the way you phrase it. I do think he should be allowed to be voted on for the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Yes. But to me, it's, it's a crime. I mean, if you look at the history of baseball, in the entire history of baseball, only one player has ever been denied the right to be voted on for the Hall of Fame. Only one. Joe Jackson was on the, on the uh, ballot for 55 years before they put in the Pete Rose rule to keep Pete out. Uh, and I just think it's wrong. Uh, I'm not going to say whether I think people should vote yes or no. That's fine. But it should be, he, should, he should have a chance to be heard. You can read Kostya Kennedy's book, Pete Rose, An American Dilemma, and you can check out his work on Sports Illustrated and the New York Times as well. Watching sports on TV is great and all, but nothing compares to seeing the best athletes in the world in person. The SeatGeek app is a quick and easy way to find the best deals on tickets, and when you use our code TALKING, you'll get $20 off your first purchase. SeatGeek app takes less than a minute to download. It's free on iPhone and Android smartphones, and it does a ton of things that the other ticketing sites don't. It aggregates from the big ticket sites. So just like when you search for flights or hotels online, SeatGeek pulls in ticket options from hundreds of sellers to create the one-stop shop for sports and concert tickets. They also have a great feature called Deal Score. It ranks every ticket on the market with a 1 to 100 value score and plots the best deals on a color-coded interactive map of the venue so you can easily identify the best ticket values in the building at a glance. Finally, SeatGeek's mobile app makes the ticket buying process seamless, easy, and safe. To redeem your promo code and save $20 on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app today. Enter promo code TALKING in the app. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. How's this for service? If you buy a $15 ticket on SeatGeek and use my code TALKING, they'll still send you a check for $20. SeatGeek is paying you to go to the game. For the NFL, college football, and the best concerts, use the SeatGeek app and enter our code TALKING to save $20. I want to I want to go back to Pete Rose just for a second, okay? Um, it's so prevalent um, gambling in sports. It's so intertwined now. I mean, we just watch Sports Center. The lines are put up constantly. Um, they, it used to be like Al Michaels and Brent Musburger would like kind of make jokes, and you had to be in on the joke to know what the over under was when they were mentioning it during the broadcast. It's not even like a hidden secret any longer that they're doing that. And FanDuel. And DraftKings bought more advertising than anybody else on the planet. You know, the the GDP of these two companies of the advertising budgets over the last few weeks over the football season is probably more than small European countries. (laughs) So are we still keeping Pete Rose out of the Hall of Fame when when gambling is basically out of the shadows here and intertwined with professional sports? You know, I know I seem like I'm out of step with what's going on in, in current society. But listen, it wasn't like he didn't know. It wasn't like this wasn't made very clear. It's, it's, as Costa said, it's posted on every clubhouse wall. Everybody knows. You can't do it. It's the third rail. You touch it, you're done. When do you get pardoned, though? When do you, Everybody gets pardoned at some point. Not for this. 
Not for this because oh, come on, I, he didn't murder anybody. I, I mean, know, come but, on. But you know what? It, from and you know what a huge baseball. This is all I have in my life is baseball. And when somebody messes with the integrity of the game like this, and I know, I know it gets muddy when you talk about the steroid users. But I have a very harsh opinion about what should happen with those guys as well. I, I just think it, it, you've got to be harsh with this because otherwise, if it's not, if you're not. Then people are like, well, I can do it, and I'll come back in five years, and everything's fine. It's like, no, you have to really, I think, you have to set a very strong, clear example with it. I guess. The steroid, the steroid user thing for me is this. Barry Bonds belongs in the Hall of Fame because the drugs may have inflated his numbers. He was still one of the best players in the game of his era. I, to me, so I, I think it's clear. Roger Clemens, I feel the same way about. Sammy Sosa, I don't. I think Sammy Sosa would have been an average player if it wasn't for the drugs. And that's just perception. So I do, I do have a delineation between the guys that I believe that it, it helped in a way that put them in a conversation that they wouldn't have been in, as opposed to the guys like Barry Bonds, who were great. And Barry Bonds' home run numbers are clearly higher than they should be because they were artificially enhanced. Still doesn't change the fact that he's still one of the best players. So to me, he should be in the Hall of Fame, too. My problem with Bonds and Clemens aren't that they shouldn't. I mean, listen, they were going to be Hall of Famers if they'd never touched any performance-enhancing drug whatsoever. But when they did, they made their numbers cartoonish. And, and you had, with everybody doing it, you had this era in baseball where none of the numbers made sense. And one of the great things about baseball is when you look at it, you're like, oh, guy had 40 home runs this year, like a Nelson Cruz or whatever. 40 home runs, you can compare that directly to, like, the 1950s. I mean, it, it really does have a strong connection throughout the history of the game where the numbers actually meant something. And for this 15-year period, it was like, what the hell is this? I know, but it, baseball was complicit in the entertainment value being upped, and they did nothing to stop any of this. And, and you know what? Like, again, this is entertainment, people. It's entertainment. It's taken way too seriously. And I just think the punishment for the crime for Pete Rose is just way too high. If you watch the guy play, just watch one highlight of the guy. I mean, he ran over somebody in an all-star game. I mean, if you watch one (laughs) highlight of the guy, you realize that his heart was in the right place when he played. And his numbers wouldn't have been what they were if, if his heart wasn't in the right place. And so it's just, it's absolutely absurd to me. He had a nasty vice, okay? And everybody does. Everybody has a vice. Everybody has one. I have His several. happened to be the one that is the cardinal sin. But, you know, until someone can prove to me that he was bought by mafiosos and put a lot, you know, and bet a ton of money against his team winning, you know, while he managed them, then I have a hard time buying this. If, if all you've got is he bet on his team to win, I, I really don't see the enormous issue here that's lasted 30 years. I think it's unfair. It is unfair, and this is why, well, you know I'm not a parent for a variety of reasons, but can you imagine what a harsh parent I would be? Oh, oh you're out past curfew? Yeah, you're not going out yeah. for another 10 years. That's the deal. 10 years. <laughs> 10 years. That's the deal. Like, Go to your room. Do not leave. <laughs> exactly. Here's some bread. Eat it. <laughs> like, like, what's wrong with you? Like, no, no punishment is like this in any other forum. That's why I just have a problem with it. Yeah. Um, Let's get to a couple little things that stood out to us. Um, uh, Rob Manfred, we'll see what happens. Um, I think it's interesting that he allowed yeah. the conversation to occur, you know, which, which is he didn't have to. Nope. So he did. So we'll find out how it plays out. Um, Warren Buffett, the Oracle of Omaha and the, um, the smartest, um, uh, you know, non-government working economist on the planet, um, was pictured on the Miami Dolphins sideline over the weekend in shoulder pads wearing an Indomitian Sioux jersey. Yeah. Which, you know, makes me wonder, is it time to stop listening <laughs> to Warren Buffett entirely? Like, yeah. is he on the side? Let me like, everybody, buy emu farms. That's the new thing. <laughs> right. I mean, you you know what's going to go up in value? Vinyl records. 
Yeah, buy those. I've just got a gut feeling, everybody. I'm buying leather shoes. You should as well. <laughs> I That Calvin Klein's going to make some wonderful overalls. Everybody's going to buy them. When you look at that picture... And you're like, this is a billionaire. This is one of the most, the wealthiest, most powerful man on the planet. And he looks utterly insane. I mean, yes. utterly insane. I'd like to see him in a car with Jonathan Papelbon. That would actually I don't know be... how they got him to do that. How'd they get him to do that? I think he wanted to do it. I think he's I like, guess. I think he, well, isn't there some tie? Where did, uh, where did Sue go to school? Didn't Sue go to Nebraska? Yes. Yeah. That, it, oh, that must be what it is. Yeah, I got, okay. So, all right. Yeah, I got so it. I got it. Okay. All right. Now, all right. Now it's somewhat made. But wearing but wait, shoulder pads, though. Yeah, Eighty-five-year-old men shouldn't <laughs> be in shoulder pads. Even ex-football player, eighty-five-year-old men shouldn't be in shoulder pads. It just looks ridiculous. With khakis. It look, yeah. It's not exactly a great look with khakis. No. It's like a Halloween costume. <laughs> <laughs> what are you for Halloween? I'm an eighty-five-year-old man in a football outfit. <laughs> I am for Halloween this year. <laughs> Damn it! That was yeah, really he, uh, You know, I just I I was questioning his sanity for a moment. I'm like. Oh, my God. Like, this, this guy, you know, you know, what's interesting about him is, like, he looks at the stock market differently than every other person on the planet. Oh, like, yeah. He looks at it and he goes, oh, there's a winner. <laughs> exactly. Like, how yeah. do, what does he know? What does he know that no one else knows? Yeah. I, I just don't understand it. And, and, you know, the fact that he's buying stock in the Dolphins, whew, he's got it all wrong on that one. I mean, I don't know if you've seen them play. They could easily be 0-3. <laughs> yeah. They're terrible. They're, They're a hot mess. No good. Yeah, they are no good. The other NFL story that caught my attention was um, the FAA has approved drone use by teams, not on game day. I don't, I don't know particularly how else you would utilize this that wouldn't be cheating in some way, but apparently you are allowed to use drones to take pictures of teams now. Uh, I don't quite understand how that could be utilized other than, you know, Bill Belichick, who's probably been doing it since 2004. <laughs> you know, but whatever. He's probably like, oh, God, I got to do something else. But why would you, why would you need that? Yeah, I just, I mean, do we? It seems to open up an enormously large can of worms. And after yeah. everything we've gone through, like you said, with Spygate, the Flategate, it's like, do do we really need to allow any sort of wiggle room for these coaches who are paranoid to begin with? To, yeah. you know, what's that flying up there? Yeah, shoot that yeah. down. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, oh, great. Chuck Pagano seeing things again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Coach, take your meds. Take your meds. We'll be fine. Oh, yeah. Calm yeah. down, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Calm down. It's just a drone. You know, New England's using a lot of them now. Don't worry about it. I mean, listen, I'm against drones to begin with because I don't like. Well, you saw that in the U.S. Open when some school teacher just flew a drone and it crashed on the court and center court. You're like, yeah, you, you shouldn't be allowed to do that because at some point, one of these things is going to hit an airplane. and It's going to be a big deal. So I think the FAA needs to restrict not loosen the rules on this. That's just me. Man, you are you are just a mini. You know that you are just you are for I'm nothing. Turning, get like, off my you're get off nothing. my lawn, you kids, and turn down that music. You are you're you're an old really, man. You are you should you should be wearing uh, pads <laughs> and an Indomitian <laughs> suit jersey, and you're just sitting on your couch screaming That's at what people. What I do every day, I just sit on my lawn. You must hate children. You must hate them. Oh, you I can't wait to. for that for uh, Halloween. Rather, yeah, that's always fun. Get off my lawn! Oh, I bet you love that. What do you like? Throw yeah. things at them. <laughs> Here's some razor blades. Go away. I give them life advice. <laughs> Trick or treat. Trick. <laughs> You're for nothing. That's me. You're not progressive yeah, I'm really... whatsoever. I'm like, drone, whatever. You get some cool pictures. Whatever. I don't no. care. If you want to cheat? Go ahead. I don't care. I'm like, I'm like, take the drugs. I don't care. Go for it. Hit, hit as many home runs as you like. I don't care. It doesn't change my life. What the hell do I care? Like, oh, you want to bet on the Padres? Go for it. Who cares?
Like, what, I think oh, you can't be in the Hall of Fame now because you bet on the Padres? <laughs> Forget it. I don't care. I have turned into just a bitter old man. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, unless, I mean, I, I'm guessing you never did this. Did you ever do the ice bucket challenge? No, I think somebody named me, and I was like, uh... You're like, now. I don't know if I'm going to do that or no. not. What's this internet thing? <laughs> what is this interweb thing that you speak of? Interwebs are telling me to pour ice on myself. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I didn't, you know, I... I no, I did. I was challenged and I and I declined. But it was not somebody that I was super close with. So, <laughs> Why? Well, Why? Just, Why would you decline? Well, I, I didn't decline. I was just like, yeah, I'll get around to it. And I never got around to it. So what? Do, is there like? Is this like a <laughs> wedding present? Even mean? Is it? Is this a wedding present thing? Do I have like a? You ton- had no time over the last two years that this has been going on to actually do this. Well, I don't have a lot of ice at my house, so it would have mm. it would have been a large project to actually gather this together. I don't have an ice maker. <laughs> Yeah, I've got, I've I have an old refrigerator. It doesn't make ice. I've got. I've spent all my money on shoulder pads. Get off my yeah. lawn! I don't have any ice. Why would I have any ice? I don't need ice. So no, why did you? I assume you were challenged because yeah. you're. I just use my breath on drinks if they're too hot. That's all. So you? I don't need the ice. You took the challenge anyway. Yeah, I did it. I did. Yeah, because you know I was. Because I was on TV, you know, I had 8 million people ask me to do it, right. so I had to do it. I had so one I person. It. It I had one person that I, I, I yeah. was sort of friends with, and I was like, they just did it to, to piss me off. So it's like, yeah. okay. But you. Well, but here's the thing. Here's my point. I knew you didn't do this. I didn't even have to, I didn't have to know the answer. <laughs> I had to know you didn't do this. I'm going to go, here's the one you are going to do. Because there's a video out now of some girl in Mexico. It's gone viral. Of her, what you know, either snorting cocaine or a facsimile of her oh, snorting it's, cocaine, it's be cocaine in the in the same vein of the ice bucket challenge for ALS, and it's gone viral because she's challenging other people to do it. I would have bet you'd do that. <laughs> Find time for that one, I bet. Right. I'm I'm actually flying down to Mexico this coming weekend to participate in a number of these challenges. I think it's great for the community. I really do. Do you? <laughs> I can't wait till Donald Trump gets his hands on that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, first I, he went after all the guys. Wait till he sees the girls. The girls videotape themselves. I mean, who does snorting cocaine? I mean, honestly, and disseminating it. Yeah, who does that? It's like I'm doing something completely illegal, and I'm calling people's names out. I'm challenging them, and I'm putting this out there for everyone to see. Yeah, this is the one that that one bothers me. Yeah. Of all the, all these other things, no problem. But some teenage girl snorting cocaine and asking other people to do it, I, that one actually gets to me. Now, let me ask you this. If if there was somehow money that went to some charity, would would you be okay with it then? How would money go to a charity for that? I'm not sure. What charity is accepting money for that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's like uh, it's like a challenge of getting out a magnifying glass and burning ants to their death, and somehow people pay money to see that. Yeah. Like why? Why? Why would that? What charity would that be for? I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But I'm I'm snorting this cocaine for homeless children. <laughs> right. Ooh, homeless children. Oh, we're okay, so pleased. Great. All the cocaine snorters have made so much money for us. Thank you so much. Yeah, because they just become so generous when they get so high. <laughs> yeah. They don't give away $100. They give away $1,000. So excited for it. Something tells me this is this fad is not going to catch on north of the border. No, it's not going to. I hope it doesn't catch on. No. I hope it. Well, who knows? I'm pretty liberal. It turns out you're conservative. I'm pretty liberal here. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out, I, maybe. I don't know. If it, if it ends up making a ton of money for homeless kids, right. then, then every, I'm all for it, I guess. Everybody wins. Yeah. Everybody, everybody wins. wins. Yeah. Everybody wins. <laughs> Nobody loses in that scenario. <laughs> everybody wins. <laughs>
All right, that's enough. Uh, we will uh, we'll be back next week. Oh, uh, one quick note for you. We are going to do this show together. Um, I, again, I'm in my basement. Uh, Mark's in an actual real live studio. But on October 17th, Mark and I will get together at Laurel Park Oof. in Maryland. We were kindly invited down. We're going to do our podcast there. We may drink a little bit beforehand. I'm not totally sure. So if you're in the Maryland area, that is Maryland Million Day, which is the really big race day at Laurel Park. Come find us. We'll be there. We'll have some more details on where we're going to be sitting and all that stuff. Come find us. Hang out with us. Uh, you have something interesting to say. Want to do some cocaine? I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever you want to do. <laughs> you, if you dress up like Warren Buffett as Indomitian Sue, that would be awesome. Any of the Pete Rose, dress up like Pete Rose. Any of those things are good. Yes. Come meet us there. Laurel Park, October 17th. We'll be taping whatever episode number that is. That's it for episode three of Talking Heads from Mark. I'm Bram. See ya. <laughs>